Shalom. Welcome to another episode of Inspiration from Zion. I'm Jonathan Feldstein, and I have the privilege of being your host, coming to you from the Judean mountains here in Israel. I like to refer to it as the original Bible Belt. Inspiration from Zion is a program of the Genesis 1-2-3 Foundation, whose mission is to build bridges between Jews and Christians and Christians with Israel in ways that are new, unique, and meaningful. I pray that you will find this, all of those. Through this program, we are excited to connect you to people and stories in and relating to Israel to give you a window to look through, experiencing aspects of life here that you might not otherwise know about. We want this to be interactive, so please be in touch with us at inspirationfromzion at gmail.com and send along any questions and any comments about any topic, any time. Or you can reach us at genesis123.co or follow and like Inspiration from Zion on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Stay tuned until the end, where we're also going to be sharing some exciting offers and opportunities for you. And please feel free to share this with people you know who will also find it of interest. Today, I am super excited to share an episode with you that's got a totally different format and content that's going to blow you away. Buckle up. Two years ago, before the COVID pandemic, I visited Mosaic Church in Clarksville, Tennessee. I presented the Genesis 123 Foundation I to Zion Award to senior pastor Anthony Daly, who welcomed me as a close friend. As Mosaic was preparing the completion of a new building, I promised to come back that summer to celebrate that and bring a mezuzah from Israel to place on the doorpost as per the Jewish tradition where which we place on our homes, offices, and houses of worship. Unfortunately, a little thing called COVID-19 got in the way, and it took me two years to get back. But two years later, Clarksville, Tennessee, was the second stop on my first trip back to the U.S., and I got to deliver the promised mezuzah and visit their stunning new building. I also brought an artistic rendering of the mezuzah, which I call the inside-out mezuzah. You have to see it. And in fact, I want to give you an opportunity to win one if you stay tuned until the end. Pastor Daly, during the recent trip, also hosted me in both his services that Sunday, where he launched a new format for teaching, not to mention the out-of-the-box hosting of an Orthodox Jew from Israel to talk about traditional Jewish perspectives on family. This was part of a month-long theme at Mosaic on family called Happy Together. That month happens to end today. So because of this conversation was so incredible, Pastor Daly had the incredible ability to navigate between his questions and my answers, all of which were completely unrehearsed. And then he brought it back to a powerful Christian message for his church. I have to share all of that with you today. As you listen, you'll hear why I have such great respect and affection for Pastor Daly. He's an incredible man of God, teacher and preacher, and he's a powerful friend of Israel and the Jewish people. Did I already tell you to buckle up? Now's the time. Rather than me interviewing him, as I usually do in most of the podcasts, this is our conversation with Pastor Daly leading and closing with an incredible message. Please have a listen and let me know what you think. I think it's incredible. We are excited, incredibly excited to have our friend, 
Jonathan Fieldstein with us. He lives in Israel and he leads Genesis One Two Three Foundation. And Jonathan, thank you for being here. It's been a couple years. Yeah, it's been too long. Too long, right? Jonathan visited us last when we were in the school in the setup and teardown, and he actually walked through what was the shell of this building back in the day. So it's a pleasure to have you back in the house with us today. It's a privilege to be back. Hey, just uh, so everybody understands what you do in Israel and what Genesis One Two Three and the Run for Zion is, would you just take a little bit of time and clarify? Sure. So, long story short. God called me in the late 1980s, first time I was ever in a real church in Cleveland, Tennessee, to be a bridge between Jews and Christians. And over the years, that's played out in a lot of different ways. But four years ago, I established the Genesis 123 Foundation. If you want to check it out, it's genesis123.co. And basically, our mission is to build bridges between Jews and Christians and Christians with Israel in ways that are new and unique and meaningful. And what you just saw in the video is the first program that we launched in 2018 uh, and, and our pilot trip from 2019. Run for Zion is the first and to date only Christian program around the Jerusalem Marathon. Now I refer to marathon as the M word because I'm not a runner. So we have runners, we have walkers, and we have the people who sit on the sidelines like me cheering on those who are doing the running and walking. But when the pandemic came, and I was just after I went home from my visit here two years ago, the pandemic came and the, the whole program was shut down. This year we're rebuilding virtually, and next year, March of 23, hopefully we will be back, back in full and restore everything that we had to kind of temporarily shut down. But in the interim, in the last two years, we've built up a lot of virtual programs, all with that mission of building bridges between Jews and Christians. So. Pastor Daly and I spoke about it almost two years ago after I got home and got settled. We created a program called Verses for Zion to connect your children, Christian children with Israel through biblical and age-appropriate ways. We, uh, I started a, a webinar series thinking, okay, well, eventually you're all going to come back and we'll get to have you in person. You'll be able to connect. But until then, let's share stories and connect you with people and stories about Israel virtually, and that went really well to the point that a year ago, I was invited to become the only Orthodox Jewish host of a podcast on the Charisma Podcast Network, yeah. which since July, when we started it, July of 21, we've had nearly 100,000 downloads, which I'm told is extraordinary. Yeah. So it's a, thank you. It's a real blessing. And all of it is ultimately to build bridges to connect Christians between Jews and Christians, to create understanding. Um, we have a lot of history that is significant. We have to understand that. But I think what, what Pastor Dale and I have spoken about today and previously is there's a lot, lot more we have in common as Jews and Christians that we just need to come together on. And, and we are the only uh, people who worship the Creator. I, sometimes people say the same God. Of course, it's the same God because He's the only God. And, uh, and, and so that, you know, that alone... Has us, has us together. And I was born into the covenant. You're grafted into the covenant. Yeah. And um, it's a blessing. It's a blessing to be here and, and share what I'm doing. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for that. We love you, by the way. And we're grateful that God has given us relationship in the land of Israel. It's really significant for us in church. And hopefully you're going to get to take a trip next year and go and experience some of the fruit of Jonathan's labor there. We're going to lead a group over in uh, over next year sometime yeah, yeah. is that date set yet the, the marathon's the end of March. End of March, yeah. So we hope to do that. And by the way, Jonathan said that we can all come to his house when we go next year. And 
<laughs> and share Shabbat. We, we was fortunate to get to yes. share Shabbat, Sabbath, with Jonathan this past Friday, and it was a special time. He prepared a great meal for us and led us through um, the, the, the evening and the reading of the Psalms, etc. It was really a fantastic evening. And so I hope those of you that travel to Israel with us next year will get to go and experience some of the things we've been experiencing Amen. through this relationship. One of the things in the Old Testament that uh, the Jewish people were commanded to do was to write on the doorpost of their house this covenantal promise of God. So when they walked into their home, they were reminded that I am walking into the promise that God has given me. And so they marked their houses with a thing called a mezuzah. And Jonathan said, I want to come to Mosaic and I want to bring you a mezuzah with a declaration. Would you share what you brought with you? it, It took me two years to get back to do it. And I really had the intent to come here before that. But when I came here, when I two years ago between services, Pastor Tommy drove me over, walked me through what was then still the construction. I was on my heart immediately. I said, I want to come back and I want to contribute to your home. And so this is a mezuzah. This one happens to have the Hebrew letter Shin, which, is, which represents one of God's names in Hebrew, Shaddai. And inside it, we typically put the scripture that here, so Pastor Dave, that's going to go on your you. on your doorpost outside, mm-hmm. and then we put the scripture. Which this this is more than just the scripture. This is what was inspired here two years ago. Um, Hero, hear Israel, hear Israel, Lord our God, Lord is one, and continues with, te- with with verses from Deuteronomy, and then also in the Hebrew. And uh, when you do come and visit, you'll see that the uh, that the art that I commissioned at the bottom is very close representative to the view out of my bedroom window. And I'm not inviting you all into my bedroom, but you'll, you'll, come, and see, you'll come and see this. Now, what I neglected to mention in the 9 o'clock service is this also was inspired from two years ago. It's going to be a gift that I'm giving out in Kentucky this week to churches and Christian schools and businesses that were hit by the tornado because I wanted to come here and be a blessing to, to people who really needed it. Amen. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. So we're, we're going to hang this on the exterior of our building on the front door. So when you, when you come in, you're going to see that and you'll know what it represents. And there's a small scroll stuck in that that has this text from uh, Deuteronomy chapter Deuteronomy. 6. Uh, it's called the Shema. Shema. Shema, yeah. I, I taught him that last night. The Shema. <laughs> the Shema. It's, it's wrapped in there and tucked away. And it's just a point of reference about how blessed we are here at Mosaic. And we're going to frame that and hang that in the hallway as well. So again, thank you for loving us and being a bridge builder. Now you mentioned something. I don't know if everybody knows. Yeah, it's a great place to just thank God. You, you mentioned something as you're conversing, and I wanted you to maybe help everyone in the room understand who may not know what it uh, looks like or what it represents to be an Orthodox Jew. Would you explain what an Orthodox Jew is? Sure. So Unlike Christians who, who make a, a proactive choice to, to receive Jesus and, and, and be Christian, I'm born into it. That's the original covenant. And in eight days, um, I, was, I was inaugurated into that covenant. And uh, it's the covenant that goes back that God made with Abraham. And what that means as an Orthodox Jew is that we look at Scripture, and I'm speaking about the Hebrew Bible, the Old Testament with the Talmud, we look at it as our, our guideline as to how we live. So we, we understand through, through studying the, the, the Torah, the Old Testament, 
and the rabbinic literature that's come over centuries after that we have 613 commandments. Some of them are the thou shalt nots, and some of them are you better do. And, and we live that way, we embrace it. By the way, I neglected to mention, some of them can only be fulfilled in the land. Some of them are very specific to being in the land, like this year is the Shemitah year, the sabbatical year, where farmers let the land, still today, farmers let the land lie fallow, and that's a great economic hardship, but it's a, but it's a blessing as well. So we, we, as Orthodox Jews, strive to take all of those 613 commandments and even in our imperfection, and I'm the king of imperfection, um, strive to complete and, and, and observe all of those commandments on a regular basis. And it, it deserves underscoring, even though I know you know it, that albeit in a different era 2,000 years ago, Jesus was an Orthodox Jew in the land. The laws that Jesus spoke about were the laws that, that I'm living, that I'm observing, and he was born two valleys over from my house. So that, that's kind of it in a nutshell, and I certainly look forward to this fellowship and friendship continuing and being able to share and answer your questions more. Yeah, amen. You know, I'm glad that there's only 10 for us in 613. Yeah. yeah. I do good to remember my phone number. <laughs> 613. Yeah, that, that, that is... That is what an Orthodox Jewish individual does is they practice the Torah, the first five books of the Old Testament and the law. It's, it's an Old Testament covenant practice, correct? correct? Yes. Awesome. Well and, and well said, Jesus himself, he didn't have the New Testament scriptures. The apostles did not have the New Testament. Correct. They were writing it. All of their preaching came out of the Old Testament. If you went through your New Testament Bible and circled every quote and reference to the Old Testament, every page of your Bible would be stained Correct. with that ink pen. That, that's how pivotal that word is. And we love studying the Old Testament and finding its value as it relates to the spiritual significance in the New Testament for us as well. We're here doing a series now called Happy Together. And one of the things that I wanted to talk about with our relationship was doing family together yes. and maybe drawing some uh, comparisons to what it looks like to do life in Israel as a father, as a husband, having your children. Would you just tell us what, what are some of the challenges that you're facing in Israel as a father, as a parent, sure. with kids? Well, fortunately, because we live in an Orthodox community, uh, we have a lot less of the societal things that you also deal with that your kids are exposed to that we really wouldn't rather that they not exposed to and that kind of creep in over time anyway so we have that but that's certainly a challenge in israel the same way it's a challenge here um i would say uniquely and it's a it's a balance the both the blessing and the challenges mm -hmm. of the blessing of living in israel and raising your children and now two and a half grandchildren in israel is just the environment in which we live. You know, Israel was established on May 14th, 1948. So we're coming on our 74th anniversary this May. Um, but we've not had a day of peace. We've had peace treaties. And thank God, two of our major borders are quiet and actually sometimes good relationships. But with our immediate neighbors and with neighbors a little further away who are attempting to destroy us, well, that's a challenge, and, it's, and, and yet it's a challenge that imbues a much, much greater value for life, I think. But nonetheless, I, I mentioned before how my 23-year-old just last week finished his 
mandatory military service. He, was, he, he is a paratrooper. He's just now going to be doing his reserve duty until he's 40 years old. And uh, it is indeed a challenge, as it is an honor, to raise your children in a spirit of giving, service to, to God, of course, and to our country and our people. And in this past year, fortunately, he didn't have to do anything. He wasn't in combat, per se, uh, though he was ready for it. He was really ready for it. And last May, we had a, you can call it a war, you can call it a battle, you can call it a continuation of the war that hasn't ended since 1948, when our uh, neighbors decided that they, it was appropriate to fire in about 4,000 rockets over 11 days. He was, we were at a wedding. He got out for the day to come to this wedding of very special family friends. And before the ceremony was over, um, really, really early on, he he got a notice that he had to go back to his base, and he um, came up to me after, right after the ceremony, and I'm going to get emotional thinking about it. Um, he said, "Abba, I need the car keys. I have to go back to base because we're, as we were praying our afternoon prayers, we were facing Jerusalem, and just to the north of us, boom, the rockets were landing already from from Gaza." And so he was called back, and that was kind of freaky, because I didn't know if he'd be going into Gaza. And then two of my daughters said, well, we're going to drive him. And I thought, okay, that's smart. And then I realized, oh, you're sending your daughters into a war zone. That's not so great. And then, because everyone was together as a family, we found out that my 30-year-old son-in-law, who's a combat engineer, was called up as one of the first 5,000 reservists. So they all drove together as if it was a family outing. Um, and, and, you know, we, res we, we accept that. That's not just our burden, but it's our privilege and responsibility. And it's the first time in 2,000 years that we've had the, the, the privilege to have our own sovereignty and, and our destiny in our hands and not the hands of other people who are, who are still trying to kill us. Um, so I would say that's probably the biggest challenge, yeah. but it comes with the pride and blessing of being able to do that. I love that you equate that to the blessing of being there and the controversy doesn't drown out the gratitude. Never. Because I think sometimes we lose focus or lose sight of appreciation on the sacrifices that have taken place by prior generations. Yes. And even though we live in our own conflict and our controversy, I think the reason why we lose sight is because we become overwhelmed with our own story, our own battles. And I love the Old Testament um, and this is one of the reasons why I also wanted to have this discussion with you today, because it presents for Christians types and shadows, things that we extract that are taking place in the natural that we look and frame through a spiritual lens. And I just want to say this about what he just said to encourage you today. The Bible says in Genesis chapter 50, Joseph standing with his brothers he said, what you meant for evil, God has meant for good to bring it to pass as it is this day to save much people alive. Joseph, who had been through dire hardship, had allowed God to take the pain and the suffering and the conflict and the chaos of life and position him into a place where he can now be a source of salvation and restoration to the Jewish people. Can I help you understand something? In Romans chapter 8, we have a similar verse in the New Testament, and it says, and, and God is working all things together for the good to them that love him and are called according to his purpose. Conflict, controversy, and crisis should not drown out our gratitude, but it should raise us 
in such a way of gratefulness, knowing, here you go, knowing that God is turning this thing around. God is not going to allow this to, to, to overtake me, but he is positioning me to be a light, a lamp, and salvation to other people. I don't know who I'm talking to today, but you may feel like that's in your own family as yes. well, but I'm coming to tell you today, there is hope. Sometimes you've got to keep on living because the promise was real, even though the life and the conflict was being lost. And sometimes it's one generation setting the foundation that another generation can stand on and enjoy the fruit of the labor. You may be right. doing something that your kids are going to get to inherit into the future. Also, there's something else I find incredibly unique that is different from the way that we uh, do things here in America. And that is as a kid graduates, we'll call it high school, comes out of, out of uh, high school, boys and girls just alike now have to go into a two-year program of some type of service uh, towards the military. And you mentioned your son being a, a paratrooper right. as well. Um, tell me the impact and the thoughts associated with your now graduating kids now being whisked off to basic training and being taught to be prepared for combat. Right. So before I thank you, that it's, it's real personal. Um, before I talk about my oldest son, who's already done his service, military service, I have four girls, three girls, a boy, a girl and a boy. So that's six total. And my, all my girls, because we're Orthodox, have the ability to, def to defer military service out of a perspective of religious modesty. There are things that happen, forgetting combat, but in a military environment that we don't really feel would be appropriate to have our daughters um, raised up around or, or, or integrated in. We, we, you want to shelter them and provi we, we provide them the foundation at home, but you want to shelter them from things that are inappropriate societally. So all my daughters have done what's called national, uh, national service. It's like a civilian um, Peace Corps where they have done, it's essentially volunteer work. They get about 500 shekels a month, which is like $200 uh, to, to, to go and work in different things, helping different sectors of the society. And that, by the way, that is an enormous sense of pride. Honestly, I wish in America you had something like that because the sense of giving is real important. Yes. As to my son, wow. I mean, I know there's a lot of military here, and I, I should thank you for your service. Yes. I, I'm, I'm both an American and an Israeli, and I'm appreciative of all of you. Um, but I will tell you, the day that he, the day that he was inducted, that we took him to a place of a battlefield in the north of Jerusalem called Ammunition Hill, and we sent him off. Oof, that was like one of the most emotional days of my life. Fear, of course, because combat is real in Israel, especially if your son's going to be a paratrooper, and pride, pride that we're raising our Jewish children to not just serve God, but the, the land and the people and our, and our, and our state. Um, and oh, I, didn't ever, I don't think I ever shared this with you. When they actually they get inducted, and then a few months later they get sworn in. Paratroopers get sworn in at the Western Wall. Every soldier in Israel when they're sworn in in different places, receives a weapon, and they also receive a Bible. And, and there's this, I, I gotta share this picture with you. There's this fabulous metal rack that's built special for this. It's got the guns lined up and a shelf for the Bibles, which is really amazing. So I'm, I'm enormously mindful of the pride in raising my children toward that, when my first grandson was born three and a half years ago, I looked at him 
And I said, wow, you know, he's going to be a combat soldier like his father is. Um, it's with fear. It's with sacrifice, but it's with tremendous pride. Thank, thank you so much. I, I admire that. And let me give you a spiritual encouragement out of that. So when a child reaches a certain age because of the threat in the environment in which they live, Israel specific here, they've got to go through some training. Even as he mentioned his daughters uh, going through a job corps, it's a service towards the nation as a whole. Because what they understand is, is that the enemy is always wanting to kill, steal, and destroy. And there's a generation coming up, if they don't weaponize and equip, no matter how prosper the nation is, there's some things your money won't get your kids out of. There, there, there's a responsibility we have as parents to make sure that we're training our children up so when they get to a place in life where you're releasing them, they have the weaponry and the skill set to deal with the conflict and the crisis that is going to invade their lives. Let me make that practical for you. So when Jonathan is sending his eldest son to become a paratrooper, he didn't simply give him the tools and say, good luck, go defend us. But he put him under the mentorship of someone that knew how to be a paratrooper. Are you hearing me? God has given you kids so they can be under your mentorship so that when you're training them up, when they leave the house, they have an example, amen, that has been played out in the house. For instance, you don't tell your kids to pray when they don't know really how to pray. Your kids learn how to pray because they hear dad in the bedroom crying out to God because there's going to be a time in their life down the road when they're going to need to mimic what they've been weaponized by experience. Help me, Lord Jesus. Are you with me? And, and we get this awesome opportunity. We're talking about happy together. You're not raising kids. You're raising men and women of God who are living in a world that is full of conflict and chaos when the enemy is going about as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And you don't know when the missiles are going to be launched, but they need to be prepared because they know that missiles are going to be launched. What an awesome responsibility we have as a community of people to raise up our kids, to weaponize them, to be protectors of what God is doing, uh, not only in us, but in the world that is around us. I, it, it leads me to this, Jonathan. You, you shared uh, something about where you was raised and the, the family that you were raised in, and you used the word secular. You said, my, my parents were secular Jews, which right. meant they weren't practicing and yet here you are being used by God in such a tremendous way. How do you come from a family that is not instilling those practices like Shabbat every week, et cetera, et cetera, in you, and yet find yourself being used by God in such a very powerful way? Sure. Well, I often still don't understand why God uses me to do what he does, but I understand what he's doing, and I try to, try to do what I when I respond to his call to do what I'm supposed to do. But I sometimes pinch myself that, you know, here... Jonathan Feldstein is an Orthodox Israeli-American Jew who's sitting in Mosaic Church on a Sunday morning in Cleveland. It's, it's Clarksville. What did I say? Cleveland. Oh, she, well, Cleveland, because Cleveland, all right, Cleveland, Cleveland, Cleveland has that other story. <laughs> Cleveland is significant too, but today Clarksville, sorry about that. Um, yeah, so my father was born in Israel in 1937, and it was before the state. So when the, when the land was still called by the British who were in control, Palestine, and he was therefore an original Palestinian, which is what the Jews of the land were referred to until 1948, 
until we became citizens and then until we declared statehood and then we became Israelis. And my father gave me a name that he couldn't pronounce. There's no TH in Hebrew. So he always called me Jonathan. So whether it was, you know, go do your homework or go rake the leaves. We lived on, in a house that had three huge oak trees that you couldn't put your arms around and a lot of leaves all like fall, winter. Yeah. So uh, there was always leaves to rake and homework to do. And it was always whether, whether it was something like, it was always me and my Israeliness that I was cognizant of. But I grew up in a home that was Jewish enough for me to internalize the fact that at my eighth day of existence, I entered a covenant that God made with Abraham. And, a, and, a, and, a, and, and my goal had always been to strive to be the best partner with God in that covenant. And when I went to Israel, the first time, sort of a roots trip to see my father's community and life and return home, I perceived a couple of things, or I should say God put on my heart a couple of things. First of all, that it was a much better place to raise a family. And remind you, I was about 15 years old, and I don't know how I would ever perceive that as a 15-year-old, that this is a better place to raise children. But I understood that. And by the way, it is. And I can affirm that. But I also understood that if I didn't give my kids more than I got, that the incredible tradition to which we are a part that's thousands of years old would just be watered down. And I felt I had an obligation. I had an obligation to understand more. I had an obligation to give more. And I've honestly, I've raised my children to have a much more firm foundation in their faith and in their nationality as, as Israelis than, than I got. And, but that was the goal, to give them more, not to water down the Judaism. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I love that story. And the reason why I wanted you, you to hear that is because many of us haven't been raised in great Christian environments where the calling and the inheritance that we've been given by God through Christ uh, is evident and some of you are finding Jesus at this place in life, and now you're wondering about the impact, and, or some of you are feeling like maybe there's something missing, and that you're limited in what you can do in the scope of serving God. But I want to tell you that the fact that your parents or your family doesn't embrace the fullness of what has been promised doesn't mean that it's not accessible. And many of you are finding that place in God right now, and I want to encourage you, yeah, we're raising the standard and the value for the kids coming. It's like generationally you can break something and you can shift something with your own response to the opportunities that you have. Don't live in the dismal place of blaming what's taking place now on what happened then. You have access by God through faith. Amen. And you can change the whole history of your family. You can change the whole history of your family. You can change the whole history of your family. I was, I was born into a family that generationally had been totally separated from God, illiterate, uneducated, not successful, coming from the hills of, of uh, Kentucky backwards. My grandfather was shot uh, because of an altercation with uh, another man's wife, and, and we've got prison, uh, people have been in prison, drug addiction, divorce rampant. I was the first one in my family generationally to graduate high school, if that tells you anything, to graduate high school. 
But I can tell you today, both of my kids have college educations. They're on a much different trajectory. There's two preachers in our house. Our entire family now is serving the Lord. God can redeem what was dysfunctional yesterday and work something really marvelous out. You can do great things no matter where you've come from. God can take the least of these and make a mighty message to the world that is around us. It's powerful. It's, it's absolutely powerful. Yep. You said something about faith that, that I think is important to restate for the folks here today. You said there, there are 613 commandments, and I asked you uh, specifically about the mezuzah. I, you was telling me how to install it, and you yeah. said you need to put it at this uh, height, and you need to turn it on an angle, right? Right. The one I put on before was at this height, and it was straight up and down. Yeah. And I asked him, I said, why are, why are you putting it at that height, and why do you turn it at an angle? And he looked at me and said, I don't know. And you said, and that's okay. Yes. That you don't have to know, you just have to obey. That's correct. Would you tell them about what? Sure. So, so if you open your Bibles to where Moses is coming down from the mountain with the, with the law, what, what do the Jewish people say, standing there at the foot of Sinai? Our response in Hebrew is na'aseh v'nishma. Did I get that right? I was close, but we're going to okay. just go on. They don't know. Na'aseh v'nishma. Na'aseh is the Hebrew word, we will do. And nishma is the Hebrew word we will hear or understand. Comes from the word shema, hear, O Israel. And mm. our rabbinic understanding of that is our obligation as Jews or as people of faith is first to do it, even if we don't understand it. So yeah, Pastor Daly, put the mezuzah that way, and I'll figure out and I'll tell you why. Then we're going to understand it. Then we're going to learn it. And that's the obligation. So even because I didn't grow up in a home where I got that handed down, I don't know everything. And honestly, me, me being me, even if I did, I probably still wouldn't know everything. But my obligation is to follow it, is to observe it the best way I can. And, that, and that's our rabbinic tradition. So good. So good. Thank you. Let, let me bring that home for, for us in this place today. Jesus said, you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. Something that people oftentimes say to me is, I'm reading the Bible, I don't understand mm -hmm. it. It's normally that I don't, uh, you know, I'm not lacking understanding in what to do. I just don't really get the meaning of it. And there's like a disconnect from the spiritual intention. When Jesus says you shall know the truth and, and the truth shall make you free, he's not talking about intellectual assent. He's not talking about you simply reading the Bible and now you know the truth. He's talking about experiencing the truth. And because there's so many things about your journey of faith that you're not going to understand until you step out and act in faith. And so when he uses the word know in the Greek, it means to know intimately. It's an actually, actually a Jewish idiom, idiom yeah. in Hebrew that means to be intimate with husband and wife. Because when you experience intimacy, you become pregnant and you give birth. And Jesus is saying, when you experience the truth, you will give birth to the freedom, the promise that's wrapped within the truth. I want to I just unburden you today. When you open your Bible, don't feel the pressure like you've got to know everything. Find a way to practice the principle, and you'll discover the truth and the promise that's woven within it. Takes all the pressure off, right? He didn't have any problem telling me, I don't know. And he said, I'll find out. I said, well, I'll Google it myself then. He didn't have, it, it's okay that you don't know everything, but it's not okay that you're not obeying. Right. 
and there's the Old Testament thing of Deuteronomy 28 is that if you'll obey, you'll get blessed. And we would also say obedience brings the blessing. That, that's not correct. Let me give it to you like this. Obedience unlocks the promise of blessing in the text. When you obey it, the obedience is like the key that allows you to get access to the promise that's woven within it. And when you and I act in faith, we access the freedom and the liberty and the promises that are so woven in that scripture. I am preaching so good to you right now in the name of Jesus. And how cool is it that I'm sitting here as an Orthodox Jew sharing Jewish tradition and you're able to take that and, and find the, the, the hooks and the significant verses and teach a message from the New Testament about Jesus. Ah, it's just this great anointing. Well, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not arguing with that. Oh, I'm joking. I'm, I'm totally joking. Well, I just think I'm it's totally amazing. We, we, yeah, maybe. There you go. <laughs> One of the things that I love about Scripture, and, he, and Jonathan and I was talking about it, is God does not hide the complexities a family from us. Mm. He, hasn't, he hasn't taken in the Word of God and give us some just great picture of what it looks like to be great together as family. A matter of fact, Scripture, as far as I'm concerned, and in my studies, and I thought you agreed with me, I don't find one incredibly high-functioning family who is incredibly successful. I mean, the first family out the gate. The wife's hanging out with the devil, Right? She's kicking it on a tree. She ain't supposed to be around listening to a snake. I mean, if the snake's talking, that ought to be an indication that something's <laughs> off anyway. Right? And, 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 and she winds up eating this fruit, and then she drags her old man into it as well. And then they're, they're both, you know, raising a murderer all of a sudden. I mean, that's what they did. They raised a murderer yeah. who kills his brother. Yeah. And it doesn't pick up and get any better. I mean, we get to Noah, and he's on the other side of the, the flood there, and he has too much wine to drink, and he gets drunk and runs around naked. And, you know, one of his sons, you know, shames him and becomes cursed as a result of that. Abraham, you know, he's got the promise. He just don't know how to keep it. And he's got hot Miss Hagar running around. And yeah, think of all... <laughs> He's chasing Hagar instead of waiting on Sarah. Has, has an Ishmael. Ishmael's raised up when Sarah has Isaac, and he's taunting and making fun of, of Isaac, and they have to send him away just to keep peace because Sarah's all up in the arms. Could you imagine living with Sarah at that point? <laughs> right? He, he loved, Abraham loves Ishmael. He loves him. He's raised him. He's 13, 14 years old now. He's, he's, you know, in this viable relationship and he's listening to Sarah who's jealous of how, the, and, and, and man, think about blended families today. Right. Wow, the challenges. That's not my kid. That's your kid. You need to send him back. Think of that. Kids become the collateral damage of our dysfunctional decisions. And it doesn't get any better at all as we move forward. I mean, we find David, who is like one of the heroes in the Old Testament to me. And he, you know, he should be out in the battlefield when the kings go to war. But he's up on the, he's up on the uh, uh, top of the house looking down at Bathsheba. And he's like, hey, girl, you're looking good. Come on over and let's have something to drink. And all of a sudden, she's pregnant. His family becomes dysfunctional. Kids are dying. There's incest in the house and relationships. It is chaos. It is chaos. It is chaos. 
But in the midst of all the dysfunction, in the midst of all the imperfection, God will still use Noah to keep the world alive. God will still use Abraham to be a blessing unto all nations. God will still raise David up and say, that's a dude after my own heart. Are you with me? Mistakes and dysfunctions are not disqualifiers. There's moments that we have and we may pay the price for the moment, but they do not negate the blessing of God, nor the ability to access the favor of God and the blessings of God on our family. They're still there for the taking, man. We just have to shift our alignment, get back in right focus. I'm grateful that they're, pardon the expression, that all of them are jacked up because I can relate to that. I'm grateful that I can still see God working in their mess because I need him to work in my mess too. And you need him to work in your mess also. That's amazing. And you can still get on the other side and have great family as a result of that. And and David, who's one of the most imperfect of our biblical heroes, is also from whom, whose, whose genes the Messiah is coming. Yes. Right? That's amazing. Right? That, uh, he doesn't get more perfection than that and, and, and rewarded despite his, uh, despite his dysfunction. Thank, thank you so much for bringing that out because let me just add to that. Jesus' family tree is oh. littered with murderers and prostitutes and fornicators and adulterers. Okay. He didn't... Did you hear what I said? <laughs> it's tomorrow playing the harlot, sleeping with Judah, getting them, right? It's Ruth, who's a Moabitist. It's Rahab. Yeah, there you go. It's Rahab. I mean, she's in Jericho. She's in Jericho. So history in Jesus' family tree, it doesn't look all great. But look what family produced. There's hope for yours, I promise you. There's hope for your family and you can find happiness together. One of, one of the points of conversation today that are just incredibly important to me, I get sidetracked, I apologize, I'm a preacher, this. Uh, is this relationship God has with humanity. Yeah. And from the very beginning, he contextualizes that in family. Specifically, he looks, he calls himself the bridegroom. Mm-hmm. In the Old Testament, he says, I'm the bridegroom, and he calls the Jewish people the bride. Right. And he's saying, hey, Jeremiah, we're going we're to have a covenantal relationship together. I choose you. In the New Testament, it's the same way. In John chapter 3, John the Baptist, when he's being questioned about whether he's the Messiah or not, he says, um, I'm not the Messiah, but the guy that has the bride is the bridegroom. And he's speaking about Jesus in this context. He says, no, he's the bridegroom and we're the bride. And it's a real, it's a real prophetic picture, if you will, of alignment and relationship. Because marriage is tough. Yes. I mean, think at it. Isn't it though? Right. I mean, it is. When you think about the context of husband-wife relationship as it relates to your relationship with God, do you see any parallels there that, that are working out natural that speak to this wow. alignment? That's an amazing question. Sure, because, because, um, because I'm not a perfect human being and I'm not a perfect husband and I'm not a perfect Jew. And I'm always, we have a concept in Judaism called tshuva. Did I get that right? 
Uh, I don't know. Close. But let's, let's see. We'll yeah. Go with it. Just go with Shuvah it. His, his return, repentance, like we're always able to recalibrate and do better. Yes. But, but we have to own up. We have to acknowledge what, what our faults or, or shortcomings may be. So that's my relationship with God. And I know God will, will honor my heart and my actions. But, it's, but as imperfect as I am vis-a-vis God, I'm probably no less imperfect vis-a-vis my wife. And that's where we have to have that loving, trusting relationship that we, we, we rely upon one another, literally bridegroom and bride. Absolutely. And, and yeah, I, I wish I was perfect. But I'm not. So I have this great wife, and she gives, gives me a lot of grace. And we're almost 30 years in with six children and two and a half grandchildren. Yeah. Let, let me read a scripture so you'll say that Jonathan and I preach today. So in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 30, 32, I, I want you to catch this because it's just Mary's, no pun intended, what we're talking about. And by the way, this is a, this is a, a chuppah. Good. Can you say that, Jonathan? Chupa. Okay, there you go. It, this is a chupa. And this is, this is a marriage tent. It represents so much about relationship. And this would be the actual place where the marriage ceremony would take place. Right underneath it, sure. Right underneath it. Sure. Providing covering, sanctity, etc. Let me, let me t- show you a mystery. Or let me tell you how the Bible reveals the mystery. He says, we are members of his body, Ephesians 5, verse 30. As the scripture says, a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united as one. He's going all the way back to Genesis chapter 2 with this. He said, then, then he says this, this is a great mystery. How does two people become one? This is mysterious. And here's the way you figure out the mystery. He said, it's an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. Christ and the church are one through love and submission. You'll get this in your own relationship. God so loved you that he gave his only begotten son, right? And because you experience that love, you make yourself vulnerable to him, to his leadership. But the truth is, it's complicated at times, even with God. Because like an earthly husband, wives, husbands can be very disappointing, you didn't have to say nothing, wives. We know. We, 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 we know. Husbands can be very disappointing. They, they don't always do what you want, when you want, how you want. They don't always respond with your request. Can I tell you that sometimes I can get frustrated with God as well? Sometimes he's not doing what I want, when I want, the way I want. As a matter of fact, I find out that he answers a lot of prayers the wrong way. They wasn't consistent with the intention I had when I prayed them because I really wasn't asking him for, I was telling him to do. Mm. Well, that's like wives, right? Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. (laughs) Just note, I did not say that. (laughs) (laughs) But but, but it's true. And, and, And on the flip side, sometimes it's hard for you in your personal relationship with God to, to submit, to obey, to be involved in the moment. And I think what we oftentimes do in the relationship is, is we don't have grace with the husband and wife that we're willing to accept in our relationship with God as followers of Jesus. But the truth is God's saying the relationship we have like this is the relationship I want you to have like this. Yes. 
And there's things in him I have to accept because it's who he is. And I don't get to change him. And there's things in your husband that you have to accept because you don't get to change. And there's things that he gets from me that are imperfect, that still need some work on, right? And there's things that we get from our wives that are just not all that we thought it should be or all that we want them to be. But love covers. Love makes it okay. So when God doesn't answer my prayer, I don't stop on God. I don't say I'm done with you, right? Right. I deal with the frustration. I talk to him about it, but because I know that he has a better plan in play, even though I can't see it, I'm telling you, some of you, you have a great marriage and you just can't see it yet. There's real... You have, there's something going to be so tremendous in your life. My wife and I, we would have divorced in, in 93, 94. She had moved out. She had went back to her parents' house. And finally, she was gone about two weeks. And I thought, well, I'm going to Clarksville and get me an apartment. I'm done with her anyway. And so I went down the street. I told her, I said, hey, I'm, I'm going to go get an apartment in Clarksville. Uh, you can come on back to the house with the kids. And she followed me back home that day. And she had found Jesus just shortly before that. I was far from Jesus at that time. And she had found Jesus and she followed me back home and she dug her heels in and she wasn't willing to give up. As a result, I have a fantastic marriage to my wife today. Meaning that it, we was on the brink of divorce, but we have a great marriage because we worked through it. We found our way and sometimes you got to fight for the way just like you got to fight for your faith. The, the mystery of a family can really be found, let me say this, the health that the family needs can be found in the relationship that God wants with you. It's super, super important. Are you with me? So talking about these spiritual parallels in in our short amount of time that we have left, I'm fascinated by the Jewish wedding because when I see that, I see so much of my relationship with Christ in the context of how it's carried out. I teach I teach our community things uh, originate in the, in the spirit, and the earth is the place of response. God, who's a spirit, right. he's the originator, and we feel the expression of it in the earth, if you will. And so I'm always looking for those spiritual originations through things that are sometimes natural, meaning that I don't always get them in the spirit and then interpret them in the natural. Most of the time I'm experiencing something yes. in the natural, and I reflect towards the, to the realm of the spirit right. to understand and marriage is one of those places. And I wanted to talk about the Shadukum. Shadukum. Closer. Shaduka. Karuka. I don't even matchmaking. Know. <laughs> <laughs> it's a Hebrew word for matchmaking. Yes. So it's a work in progress. <laughs> I sound smarter when you're not here. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so it's 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 matchmaker. Yes. And in 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 antiquities in in the Old Testament, kids just didn't run out and find a mate. No. They just didn't start dating anyone because they was hey look at him check him out he is so cute I'm going to date him he don't even have a job. Or he or he's a shepherd. Yeah. <laughs> Or, well, look at him. He's got a flashy car. He's got a good job, but he's not a follower of Jesus. In any case, I think we make a lot of relationship decisions as young people that really sabotage the freedom and liberty and the joy that life is supposed to be. And God didn't intend it that way. Matter of fact, what was the word again? Shiduchim. Shiduchim. It's good. It sounded good. Was where the father took responsibility. Right. For the, for, for the child, for the daughter, for the son. 
And he wouldn't let them just go choose their own, but he went and found a person for them. Correct. It, are you familiar with that custom and that practice? Is that still even practiced today? It is still practiced, mostly among ultra-Orthodox uh, Jewish communities. Though I'll tell you some of, I mean, some of my kids, they, they, they can meet organically, but it's typically through introductions. So it doesn't necessarily involve me as the father picking their spouse. I hope that I'm a good role model when they do pick their spouse, but there are, there is the phenomena today of a matchmaker who it's not uncommon for kids in my children's uh, age range. The unmarried ones are from 26 to 21. My 16 year old doesn't need to be talking about that yet. Um, Hello. <laughs> Hello. Yeah. And, and so that, that happens. And sometimes, sometimes people will turn to somebody who's, um, from the same root in Hebrew, the, 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 the noun is a shadchan, the person who makes the matches, and there are professional matches, and there are a lot of women in my community who get together and text one another looking for trying to match up this one and that one, so it's in, more informal, but that, that notion still exists, and they're, they're, it's not like people are, like you said, going out and uh-uh. That, that, that really doesn't happen. Uh, right. Not in our community. So there's a passage in, in Scripture where Abraham is looking for a bride for Isaac, his son. And, he, and, and, and the woman to continue the, the covenant. I which mean, is incredibly important. Yes, which is what we're talking about. A- absolutely. And he tells Eleazar, his servant, he says, listen, we're not going to fix him up. Get him in a marriage, in a relationship with somebody of Canaan, of this world, if you will. Uh, he sends Eleazar as his ambassador to go to his hometown, his father's house, if you will. And he goes to the house of Bethuel, and that's where they find Rebekah. So Eleazar goes to uh, Bethuel's house and, in Mesopotamia. And while he's at this well, he's got his camels, he's got his entourage, he's traveled a long way. He starts praying. He says, God, I need you to put your hand on this woman. Who is it that you've chosen for Isaac? I'm not putting this out for chance. And Rebecca comes, and he had put a fleece out before the Lord about giving him some water and watering his camels, and she does exactly that. And he says, that's the girl that God has chosen because he sought it in prayer. I want to make, I want to make two points for you that are incredibly, incredibly important. Number one is, is the father is doing the initiation. Mm-hmm. He's making the choice based upon what he knows about his son. He makes the choice. Jesus says, uh, you haven't chosen him, but he's chosen you. God chose you because he sees value in you, and he, he, sees, he sees relationship potential with you and his son. He th- here you go. He thinks you're a good match. Not perfect, but he thinks you're a good match. He thinks you have what it takes. That is so liberating, meaning I don't have to work for his attention. He's already saw me afar off, and he's made a choice already for me. And as Abraham sent Eleazar, the father sent the Holy Spirit because no man comes to him except the Spirit draws him, and the Holy Spirit has come to negotiate on behalf of the father because the father has chosen us. That's a huge honor. Are you, are you with me? And let me give you the practical of this as well for you and your family. I'm, when, I wouldn't let my daughter date when she was coming up. No way. 
No way was a 16-year-old boy who just got his driver's license pulling into my driveway, honking his horn, and I'm sending my daughter out to get in the car and go, no, I love her too much to allow that. I got money in her. I done fixed them teeth. I done been feeding her all these years. I done been putting up with all her carrying on. I put clothes on her. I've got an investment. My investment is not walking out the door and jumping into the car with some 16-year-old boy who just get hair on his face. <laughs> are, are you? I, I love her too much to do that. I want to encourage you. If your child is 16, it doesn't mean it's a good time to start dating. Parents should be involved. I didn't know how spiritually to be involved at the time. Let me, let me encourage you. So when my daughter gets 17, my wife starts to press on me. You know how you women are. She starts to press on me. I'm, she says, you're going to have to give her some space. You're going to have to give her some space. She's getting older now. And so I finally said, okay, if she wants to have somebody to the house, she can. But they're not going in the room. I don't care if they're leaving the door open or not. I know what I did with the door open in the room. You know what you did with the door open in the room. No, you're going to sit on the couch and watch TBN or something. You know, it's like. <laughs> so the guy comes over. And then he's coming over more than I want. And, and I thought, I ain't even prayed about this kid. I haven't even asked the Lord concerning him. And I could see my daughter was getting in deep. So I got up one morning out of the bed and I just immediately went to praying. I mean, I immediately went to, God, is this the one? And I'm telling you, as I'm having the conversation, I heard the Lord say, no, loud, loud. Now I'm, I'm, in, a, I'm, I'm in a conundrum. I'm, I'm, I'm wrestling. My daughter comes home that evening. I set her down at the table and I said, listen, I was praying this morning about this boy and the Lord told me he's not the one. Oh, she starts crying. She starts getting incredibly emotional. I'm 17. You need to let me make my own decisions. I said, but the Lord said, what do you want me to do with that? <laughs> let me make my own decisions. Now, mind you, at this point, I have an incredible relationship with my daughter. It's very emotional. We love each other. We share life together. We have a great relationship. She hasn't given me an ounce of trouble at all. It's a really good relationship. I told my wife that day, I said, I will throw my relationship away with my daughter in order to protect her from getting yoked up to a person that is not God's best for her. Because my daughter doesn't need a friend. She needs a father who is negotiating her future because kids will move in what they want, not what they need. And it is my job to make sure they get what they need, not what they want, because what they want would not always meet the what they need. I'm preaching good to somebody in here today. Are, are, are you hearing me? No, you and I should be praying and petitioning, making sure that we are aligning our children with the best opportunity that they have to be all that God has called them to be. Are you with me? It's, it's super, super important. Now, when, 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 when the negotiation has taken place, the second phase is the betrothal. Correct. The betrothal. Um, what's that word? Erosine. Erosine. Yeah, I was just seeing if you knew it. Erosine. This is the betrothal place. And this is like what we would call our engagement. Right. But something unique happens at this betrothal. The father would go to the house. The father and son, actually, would go to the house of the potential uh, bride. And, and they would knock on the door. They would gain interest, and they would come in, and they would discuss 
a marital contract, a liter, a ketubah. Literal contract, yeah. Ketubah. Ketubah. Oh, ketubah. And they would discuss this and they would put this in a contract. That's why Jesus said in Revelation chapter 3, he says, I'm standing at the door knocking. If anybody would open, I'll come in and make a covenant with you, sup with you. That, that was one of the rituals of, at, at, in this moment of signifying that we're together, that they would drink from the same cup. That's why John, the boys, uh, the sons of thunder come to Jesus and said, we want this, we want this. We want to sit at your right hand. That's where your bride is. And then Jesus was like, hey, wait. And then he says, can you drink out of the same cup? They said, we can. It, it, it was a real moment of relationship. And then this happened. Sorry, Jonathan. This happened. Once the ketubah, once the contract had been agreed on, the terms had been agreed upon, they wouldn't go right into the Nesuim. Nesuim, right. Nesuim, which is the, the marriage, the, 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 marriage the, right. the formal marriage. That's why we find Mary in, uh, in this betrothal condition. She's, she's legally married to Joseph, but they haven't consummated with the Nesuim. Thank you. Yeah, that is to come later because this is what happens. When the contract was given... And the betrothal was signified, and, 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 and the baton was given, which is interesting, meaning a gift to signify that this promise is valid. It's all wound up in John 14 about how Jesus feels about you. Let, let, me, let me illustrate for you. Because the husband would go back to his father's house, and he would make preparation in his father's house because the bride wasn't staying in her current condition. She was gaining a brand new inheritance through the marriage relationship. And the husband would go back to the inheritance that he had been given with his father and the occupation that his father had taught him. And, and he would set things in order. And when the father knew everything was in order, he would say to the son, now go get your, your, your bride because you've made a preparation. That's why Jesus said, in my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you so. I'm going to prepare a place for you. That's bridegroom and bride language. Because he's about to leave and he's bringing comfort to their heart. He said, I'm going to go make room for you that where I am, there you may be also. It's also why Jesus taught that no one knows the day or the hour, not the son nor the angels in heaven of what the father has in his own heart. Because the father alone makes the decision when the time is right for the bride and the bridegroom to come together. So good. And before the son leaves at the, at the betrothal, he'll give a maton, a gift. And the gift was like the earnest, a, a down payment, something that you could hold and be reminded of. We give engagement rings. And when you put the engagement ring on, it's a reminder that I can't sleep with anybody anymore, that I'm in contract, I'm in a covenantal relationship with someone. Jesus said, I'm not going to leave you comfortless. I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit, and he's going to be with you. And here, here you go. In, the, in those days, back in, back in antiquities, what they would do, in order to communicate, they didn't have cell phones and technology. They wrote letters back and forth. That's how they kept in contact. So there would be a conversation that was happening, but no personal contact. And that's the role of the Holy Spirit. He's the mediator. He's allowing you to still have conversation with one who is making preparation for you so you don't lose hope, you don't become discouraged, you don't think that he's forgotten about you at all. 
No, it's called continual communication because it keeps me in a healthy place while preparation is being made. And when the sun comes back to get his bride, this is the good part. It, 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 it's celebrated in this capacity. When, when he comes back, then there's a, a ceremony that's going to take place. And, and then there's going to be a, 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 uh, an intimacy that's shared. I could talk about the ten bridesmaids of the ten, five wise, five foolish, because that number is how many a bridal group had to have, had to have ten. And the, bride, the bridegroom had to have two witnesses. That's why the Revela book of Revelation talks about the two witnesses. It's a marriage because if you keep reading the book of Revelations, we wind up at a marriage supper. Because that's what happened. It was a seven-day feast and a celebration. And it also involved, here you were, consummation. There's an, uh, let, me, let me drop it home for you right here. There's an old Middle Eastern phrase. We say blood is thicker than water. We say that, right? Blood is thicker than water. Family is closer than friend. Blood is thicker than water. In the Middle East, they don't say that. They say blood is thicker than milk. That's what they say. Because what they're referring to is something oftentimes you and I have a hard time of understanding, meaning this, that a blood covenant is more binding in the relationship than the two people who share the same breast and were nourished by their mother. The blood covenant is more binding than the relationship with your man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife, and the two shall become one. This is the beautiful thing. When they would lie down, when a man and a woman in the natural lie down, they enter into a blood covenant. When, when a, a virgin girl lies with a man for the first time, her hymen is broken. Sorry to be, but it's just the way it is. God made it. The hymen is broken. And the sheet is a representation of the condition of the bride. They would take that sheet and they would fold it up because it was valuable. First and foremost, well, let me say this. First and foremost, they would hang it up. Now, that sounds gross. But it was an honor to be able to hang that sheet up because it was a testimony to the covenant that I'm now within. And it says to everyone, this is a binding blood covenant. That's why you just can't sleep with anybody. That's why you just can't sleep with everybody. Because you're yoking yourself to soul ties that will sabotage your effectiveness to be happy together. And you'll bring things in from your sexual experience and ask your now married partner to perform something that you got way back then that you should have never got. And now you're sabotaging the covenant with unrealistic expectations from something that your soul found satisfied a long time ago. I'm preaching good. So they wanted everybody to know I'm in covenant. And then they would fold the sheet up. And you know what they'd do with the sheet? They would give it to the, to the father. They would give it to the father. You know why they'd give it to the father? So if anybody ever come and accuse the bride of not being faithful or not being a virgin, then here's what happened. The father would just throw out the sheet and say, no, there's a testimony. There's a witness to her virginity. Paul said, I am presenting all of you as a chaste virgin to your Christ. Are you with me? And it is a blood covenant that you and I are in. And the devil who is an accuser of the brother who's, who accuses us night and day before the Lord, do you know what? God turns his accusation away. There's a sheet that has 
And the father can just roll out the sheet and say, no, they're pure, they're innocent, they're not what you're accusing them to be. And listen, for you and I, it don't matter what we used to be. I mean, God has taken the virginity and the innocence and give rebirth to our spirit and we are made new in him. And no devil in hell can talk God out of the place of covenant that you and I are in because it's blood and it is binding and it cannot be breached. Now, if we want to be happy together, we have to take this relationship and we have to start living in in the context of these relationships. Come on, stand to your feet. I've got now, if you've stayed with us this long, it's time for your reward. Beginning this year, the Genesis 123 Foundation started offering you an opportunity to receive a special gift each month. In the past, I was giving away a copy of a book from my bookshelf, which I called From Jonathan's Bookshelf. What I want you to do is go to the Inspiration from Zion social media, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And when you like and follow us and then share the link to this program, I will select one winner at random. Instead of a book this month, I'm offering you the opportunity to win a copy or a beautiful print of that magnificent inside out mezuzah that you're going to love and want to display in your home or office. I want to take a minute to also say how grateful I am that this podcast is sponsored by our friends at the Willow Run Greenhouse in Culpeper, Virginia. If you're in the area, please go by and say thank you to them. Give them a hug and tell them thanks for helping make programs and conversations like this possible. Also, thank you to the Coin family for their meaningful sponsorship. Inspiration from Zion and all the Genesis 123 Foundation programs are made possible by donations. So please consider joining us to help continue the dialogue and to build bridges. If you'd like to sponsor a future episode in honor or memory of a loved one or a special occasion, please be in touch at inspirationfromzion at gmail.com. And I would like to take the personal privilege of announcing that this episode I have dedicated in honor of my good friend, Parthenia Antoine. We'd love to hear your comments as part of a dialogue and invite you to send any questions as well, especially questions you have about Judaism for our Ask the Rabbi programs. Please share this with others who you'll also know who will find it of interest and continue to join us right here as we bring you more meaningful conversations like this about unique topics relating to Israel that you won't hear anywhere else. Wherever you are in the world, I pray that you and all your loved ones are safe and healthy, and I send my blessings from right here in the Judean mountains. God bless you. Hallelujah, al-Mashiach.